0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, I want to talk to you today about discovering and living your God-given dream. I want to start with Ephesians 2 and verse 10, which says, We are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew. You ever wondered why God saved you? I'm going to tell you right here. Why did God save you? I remember in Bible college. I was listening to John Garlock, and he said, God saved you for two reasons. He said, a big reason and a little reason. He said, the little reason was to get you saved. And the big reason was to use you once you got saved. It says, here's why. That we may do those good works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us. Taking paths he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So what this says is that God actually has a plan for your life, that there is a purpose for your life. A lot of people, they live their life and it's pretty much, you know, you get up in the morning, you, you have your cereal, you go to work, you get home, you eat dinner, you watch three hours of television, go to bed and do the same thing again and again and again. But the Bible says that God has a plan. That he has prepared things for you to do. That he has prepared paths ahead of time for you to walk in. And then here's what God said. He said, this thing that I've prepared, he said, it's the good life. It is the good life. Now, I was in Costa Rica several years ago. And in Costa Rica, everybody that that you bump into practically, they go, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Which a real strict translation would just be, you know, pure life. But, but what it means is this. It means life is good. Live it. Right. Now, let me tell you something. Somebody might think they got a good plan for their life, but God's plan is better. There is no plan like the plan that God has for your life. In fact, God calls his plan the good life. Uh, uh, th- there is nothing that will fulfill you more. God designed you Every bit of your DNA, he designed for the plan, the purpose that he has. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For God himself is at work in you. Now, you may feel like God's distant, but the Bible says he's working in you. He's talking to Christians. It says, inspiring you to want or desire what pleases him and to work for them. You know, a lot of people think that the purpose of their life is to retire or to have a good time. We're looking for free time, for leisure time, for entertainment time, but God says he has a plan, he has a purpose, he has prepared things for you to do, he's got paths ready for you to take. And I want you to remember that just as surely as God told the children of Israel, I have a promised land for you, God has a promised land for each and every one of us. Now, he told them it flows with milk and honey. That represents abundance and victory. That's the, what God has for you. He has a place where there's abundance. He has a place where there is victory. Now, the gospel, according to Jesus, and how I many you know he knows all about it? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to Jesus, the gospel works like a seed. God's word works like a seed. In Mark 4, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, and then he goes and he says, no, that seed needs to fall on the right kind of ground. And when he talks about the ground, he talks about our hearts, right? But he's saying the kingdom of God is as if you scatter seed. And in Mark 4 and 14, he said, the sower sows the word. So it's the word that gets sown in your heart. And this is how the word works. It works the same way as a farmer planting a seed. A farmer goes out, he prepares the soil, by the way, that's our heart, and then the seed gets planted. And once it's planted, the seed needs to be watered. It needs to be fertilized. It needs sunshine. And over time, it grows up and produces a harvest. That is what the gospel is like. It's planted. It's down in here. Over time, it gets watered. It begins to grow. It gets sunshine. It gets watered. It gets fertilized. And it keeps on growing. Um, I'm in the middle of reading a book entitled Lincoln's Battle with God. And I I, I saw this principle at work. You know, he was brought up in a very, very strict religious home. And he literally walked away from God. At one point, he was following Thomas Paine, the age of reason, and Abraham Lincoln was an atheist. And he carried a Bible to argue with people. Right? He, he totally rejected faith. But yet, every so often, he'd meet somebody, and they'd plant seeds, and they'd plant seeds, and they'd plant seeds. And over a period of 20 years, he went from that to what would be a full-blown believer. Right? But it took a period of time right? That seed, it got planted, started to grow. People came and watered it. Paul said it like this. He said, I plant, Apollo water, but God gave the increase, right? And and by the way, when you bring somebody to church and they don't get saved, that's all right, because the seed got planted. The seed got watered, right? I remember in my own life, right, there were two individuals, both of them, they, they planted but then they just watered and they 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 kept on watering. And then finally I got in the service and bam, bam. But it wasn't something that happened instantly. So what Jesus said, the way God's word produces in our life is like a seed. It gets planted in our heart, right? But once it's planted, it needs to get watered. It needs to have time to grow. And then Jesus said, if it's on good ground, it'll grow up and it'll produce 30, 60, and a hundredfold. Now, I used to have this idea about the Bible, about the Word of God. I thought the Word of God, it is the most powerful thing in the world. There is nothing, nothing can stop the Word of God. How many of you thought that? Uh, You're wrong. And I'm going to say that because that's what Jesus said. How many How many will stick with Jesus? All right, here's what Jesus said. Listen, he says, the cares of this world The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, choke the word. What do they do to the word? They choke God's word and it becomes unfruitful. So just because the word gets planted doesn't mean the word is going to produce something in our lives. So he mentions that is the desire for other things. Anytime that we let anything become more important to us than our relationship with God, that thing will come in and it will choke the word. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that word that gets planted, you know, when you're in church, when you're at home, reading your Bible, you know, that word's getting planted, but we've got to protect that word. We've got to protect the word that's in our heart. Because if we let something else become more important to us than the word of God, it will choke the word. And notice he says the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus said that's the number one false God. I've I've had quite a few people criticize me. They say, you talk about money way too much. That's because Jesus did. That's because Jesus said it's the number one false God. And when we put our trust and our confidence in money instead of in God, when we make the accumulation of things and security the purpose of our life instead of the pursuit of righteousness and the kingdom of God, it'll choke the word. And he even says good things, the cares of this world. Now, the cares of this world can be good. So how many of you know you need to pay the electric bill and the mortgage? You need to make sure there's food on the table, right? And those those are good things, all right? But if we make those the number one thing, Jesus said, no, he said, God knows that you need that. He said, not even a sparrow falls from the ground, to the ground without God knowing. He said, no, he said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of those things, they'll be taken care of. But when you make those the priority of your life, Instead of pursuing the kingdom of God, it chokes the word of God and it does not produce. But when it grows, Jesus said, it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. The ultimate goal, Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy 4. He said, finally, in the end, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Now, I love the last phrase here, those who love his appearing. We can tell if we are seeking first the kingdom when we're considering constantly thinking about the return of Jesus, the final kingdom of God. You know, I know there's Christians, people, at least they say they're Christians, and they don't think about Jesus' return once every six months. But the Bible says that when we're seeking the kingdom, we love his appearing. We are looking for the appearing of Jesus. Now, we're, we're talking about that dream, that vision that God puts inside of our heart, right? And really, it's only a daydream until you have the courage, the faith to act on what God puts in our heart. God was talking to Habakkuk, the prophet, about this. And he said to Habakkuk, he said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. In other words, he's saying the vision doesn't, just because you got the vision, it doesn't take care of itself. It doesn't perform itself. He says somebody's going to have to do something. Somebody's going to have to run with it. Somebody's going to have to do the things that are necessary for the vision to come to pass. He said, for the vision is yet for the appointed time, but at the end it will speak. It will not lie, though it tarry. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now that the enemy tries to do, because the vision, but God puts in our heart, our purpose, that, that desire that God puts in us, because it takes time, what the enemy tries to do, he tries to distract, he tries to substitute, he tries to divert, he tries to get us discouraged. But what happened to Habakkuk needs to happen to every one of us. In the first chapter, the first verse, it says that the prophet saw. First, he saw where God wanted to take him. He saw it, we could say in his spirit, we saw it and he saw it in his mind's eye. The book of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. In other words, when God speaks to you, when God illuminates you, when God enlightens you, he does it in your heart or in your spirit. In chapter three, verse one, he says, I've heard. So he sees it, he hears it, all right? But then like Jeremiah God had told Jeremiah, he said, look, I want you to go and speak to the people and tell them this. And Jeremiah's getting in trouble. People are trying to kill him. They, they, they throw him in a dungeon. Um, the Bible says the king's trying to kill him and God hit him. So what Jeremiah is doing is not popular. And so this is what he said. He said, I'm just making all these enemies. He said, I am not going to do what God told me to do again. I'm going to shut up and this is what he said. He said, I tried to shut up, but your word was like fire shut up in my bones. And I could not keep quiet. You know, we, we, we see it, we hear it, we feel it. right? And when you, when, when you see it, hear it and feel it, literally that vision, that thing, that desire, that destiny that God puts down on the inside of you, it becomes your own. And a godly dream, a godly vision will always bless people and bless the kingdom of God every single time, right? But when it's just something we come up with, instead of blessing people, we use people, right? And instead of promoting the kingdom, it promotes other things, right? Now, you can have a dream. God, God, God can, for, uh, John and Charles Wesley, their mother Susanna had a dream. She had 18 kids. Right? But she, her dream was that her children were going to be world shakers, and and she raised those kids, spent time with those kids. And those of you who who know history, uh, John, Charles, their sister, they literally shook the world. You know, you can have a dream to have a business and run it with godly principles. A dream to change your school system. Right. A dream as an athlete to have influence to influence people for Christ. But when that dream, that vision is from God, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about fame, it's not about fortune, it's about being a blessing. You know, Joseph had two dreams. I talked to you about the first dream. Joseph had a dream and he, he sees a field with sheaves and all the sheaves come and bow down to his sheaves, to his sheath. And, and I talked to you about how our, our Ultimate destiny always affects end-time harvest. It always is to bless people. But then he has another dream. God gives him another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the stars come, and they bow down to him. And and here's what I want you to catch. His his dream, it started out earthly, and it became heavenly. Our motives, they can start earthly, but they'll become heavenly. Heavenly. All right. the, the, the dream that God has for you, it grows. The dream that God has for you, it stays ahead of you, not behind you. God's dreams are always about your future. If all that we're doing is remembering the past, we become nothing but museum keepers. Right? But when God gives you a dream, whether you're 18 or 88, it's about the future. You know, and as long as your dream is about the future, you're not a museum keeper. You're a pioneer. You're moving ahead. And I've had people, even in the last couple of months, come and say, you know what, I just feel like God is not saying anything to me. Well, usually when God's not saying something, it's because you're in the middle of a test. How many of you know when you're taking a test in school, the teacher keeps his mouth shut, right? He doesn't say anything, right? But here's the great news about all of God's tests. All of God's tests are open book tests. the, The book is right there, and you can open it. You're supposed to open it. Now, I like Christmas. I really do. But I didn't used to like Christmas at all. you say, why didn't you like Christmas? Because the kids would get gifts, and you had to put them together. And I am really, really, really bad at putting stuff together and fixing stuff. I mean, I walk into a Lowe's, and I start to sweat. I mean, I am, I am like the worst putting it together person in the world. How many of you ever put it together and then there's parts left? And then you got to take the whole thing apart and get the instruction book out, huh? And, and read and do what it says, all right? Well, when, when God gives you a test, that's what it's left. You get, you get to open the book, see what it says, and do it, all right? Do it God's way. Now, God is looking for people with passion. When he gives you a dream, it it says it this way again in Philippians chapter 3. It says, God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want or desire what pleases him and to work for them. God puts a passion inside of us to do what he has called us to do right? That dream, that vision, that destiny, right? It is, that is not for what we would call exceptional people. Like the Apostle Paul, super educated, part of the elite of Israel. We think that's it. But you know what? Noah was just a farmer with a family. Peter was a fisherman. Now, we talk a lot, and the Christians do, about King David, right? But I want you to remember this. When Samuel the prophet came and told David's father, I'm going to anoint one of your son's king. Bring your sons. They left David home. They didn't even bring him. They left him to take care of the sheep. Because in the family's mind, this kid has not got a chance. There is no way that there is a destiny that God has a plan for him. Abram was just a businessman. Deborah, the prophetess, she was a mother and a wife in Israel. Mary, just a teenage daughter who was going to draw water. And tradition says, right, as she was at the well in Nazareth, an angel appeared to him. Right? Our goals, very often, they're natural, they're human, they're ordinary. But when God gives you a vision, a destiny, right, it comes from God. And, and it's not really something we decide, it's something we discover, right? It's a spiritual thing, right? And it originates with God. And again, it's God speaking to us in our spirit, right? And uh, we get tuned in to God and it becomes louder. It becomes clearer, right? Vision, destiny, there is nothing that will fulfill you like being in the middle of the will of God. Not Not $10 million, not a mansion, not a beautiful car or spouse or fame, nothing. Paul, he had it all. Right? And he left it all. He said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Moses was part of the royal family of Egypt. Anything the world had to offer, he could have had it. But the Bible says he turned his back on all of it, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God because he looked to his reward. He understood this world is temporary, right? But there is an eternal kingdom that is coming, right? Now, sometimes we feel like we missed it. You know, God spoke to me 20 years ago. God spoke to me 30 years ago. You know, God told me this and I didn't do it. But here's the thing. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God, they are without repentance. Once God calls you, you are called. Jonah ran from God. Jonah 1, chapter 1. He runs from God. Finally comes back to God, chapter 3. Here's the interesting thing. God told him word for word exactly the same thing. He said, go to that great preacher city and preach and tell them, repent or in 40 days it's going to be destroyed. God's will didn't change because he ran. Elvis Presley, the king, uh, he actually began singing what we would consider his musical career in church. He was singing in church. Of course, later he became very famous. And he would do concerts and go back to his room and he would sing and play gospel music until the wee hours of the morning crying and crying and crying. You know, God gave him a gift. God had a plan for him. He took it and went in a different direction. But you know what? All the fame, all the fortune, it didn't make him happy. He's ended up he's taking drugs. He, he, he finishes a concert where people are cheering and he goes in the back and he balls his eyes out and sings gospel songs because that's what God had called him to do in the beginning. And we can try to run from what God calls us to, but the gifts and the callings of God, they are without repentance. Now, God could have used him in a great, great way. All right? And if you've walked away from your dream or let that dream just kind of wither up, pray pray and say God give me my dream back in fact God I pray right now for your people Lord I pray that you give the dream back that you had placed in their heart and that dream it always is going to help people and ultimately it builds the kingdom of God what comes from our flesh that ambition it uses people all right But when it comes from God, it helps people and it builds the kingdom. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our example. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. He wasn't headed to a cross, he was headed to a resurrection. He was headed headed to receiving the inheritance of a great reward. The Bible tells us God planted the seed of Jesus. He reaped a harvest of you and me, of a family, of a church. But he was able to do it. He, he, He let them... Spit on him, mock him, pull out his beard, nail him to a cross, slap him, put a crown of thorns on his head, a whipping post. He did all of it. He had supernatural endurance because he knew where he was going. He was looking to his reward. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him. You know, when God gives you that vision, follow it. Paul said, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He had all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of setbacks. Uh, He was imprisoned. He was literally beaten five times, 39 stripes. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was threatened. He was shipwrecked. He was uh, sleepless, cold, hungry, thirsty, but he just kept on moving ahead, moving ahead. And, And by the way. Whenever you make movement forward in the kingdom of God, there is always opposition. That's why the Bible says in Amos 6 and 1, it says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. I remember somebody telling me, well, the devil never bothers me. And I just said, well, that's because you never do anything. You know, you start moving ahead and there's going to be opposition. There's going to be. All right, I think it's interesting that Jesus drafted every one of his disciples. You think about that? There were no volunteers. He drafted everyone. He came where they were at. Matthew, collecting taxes. Other disciples, they're, they're, they're fishing. He took them right off, right off the job. Moses was minding his own business, watching his father's sheep out in the middle of a desert. And God shows up in a burning bush. And Moses goes and checks it out. And God says, hey, i got a plan to deliver Israel, and I'm going to use you. And Moses said, hey, that's a great plan. Do that, but use anybody except me. How many ever felt like that? God, great plan. Find somebody else. Moses had all kinds of excuses. He said, man, I cannot talk well. And God, you just, you don't understand. I'm old and I don't want to go. But that's who he chose. And again, David, when when Samuel said, I'm going to anoint one of your, your, your son's king, Jesse left him home. Nobody thought he was qualified. Elisha, he's out plowing a field when the prophet Elijah comes by and calls him. Gideon the Bible tells us is hiding from the enemy in a wine press, threshing a little bit of wheat. And God shows up and says, hail mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to defeat the enemy. And he's like, check this out. I'm, I'm the guy that's afraid. I, I'm, not, I'm not general material. And God said, oh yeah, you're the one I'm going to use. He said, and, and here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to call the Israelites together. And he does. 32,000 men show up. Now there's 250,000 Midianites. And God looks at that and says, hey, you got too many. I want you to preach a sermon. And your sermon is everybody who's afraid, go home. He gives the altar call, 22,000 people leave. Great altar call. You got 10,000 left. God says, that's too many. Takes them down to Gideon Spring. We'll be there in a couple of years when we go to Israel. It's one of the places you know absolutely for sure. This is exactly where this took place. And God said, I'm going to test them there. A lot of people just laid down, drank. But there were 300 who took on one knee, kept that water, started drinking, looking around. Those were the ones that were ready for an attack that were alert, spiritually alert. And God said, send out the 9,700 home and keep the 300. And Gideon, with 300 men, defeated 300,000 Midianites. Why did God do that? That way God said, I'm going to get the glory. You won't think you did it. God uses the most unlikely. I know when, when, (laughs) when I graduated from high school, I promise you that I was the most unlikely candidate to ever become a pastor. All right. And there's some of you here that went to school with me, and you know that is the truth. All right, But God is much more interested in your availability than your ability. Right. Moses turned aside to see what God had. Some of us, were too busy. We are too busy. Gideon, here's what I think was the most interesting thing about Gideon's story. God says, now, I'm going to use you. He says, but this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go home. And your father has an altar to Baal. I want you to tear it down. Then I want you right next to it, build an altar to God. Take your father's bull, the seven-year-old bull, and sacrifice that bull to me. Now, the Bible says he was afraid, so he did it at night. The next morning, the town wakes up. The altar to Baal is destroyed. And everybody said, who did it? And Gideon was sleeping in, and they figured he's the one. They went and checked out, sure enough, he was the one. You know? In fact, they said, let's stone him, let's kill him. And his dad stood up and said, look, if Baal's God, let Baal take care of him. All right. But what did God have him do? He had him start at home. That's where he started. He started at home. Now, you all know the story of Moses. But here's what, in reading the story, most of us miss. Moses is on his way to Egypt. And it says, and it came to pass on the way that at the encampment, the Lord met him And sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a bloody husband to me, so the Lord let him alone. You said, What's up with that? Is God schizophrenic? I mean, like he told him to go, and on the way, God meets him and tries to kill him. Well, here's what Moses was doing He was going to deliver God's covenant people, and the sign of the covenant was circumcision, and he hadn't even brought his own family. Into circumcision and God said hey don't export what doesn't work at home I mean you know where we start at home we're always looking for something big to start but you know where you start start at home start small you know the first time I preached the first time that I ever preached I preached Jeannie was actually cleaning houses and I took her to the house and they had a son who was 13 years old and so I gave him a Bible lesson, one-on-one. Now, the next week, he invited his friend. So my church grew 100% in one (laughs) week. That was the best it's ever been, all right? And then the next week, the guy that he had brought, his mother came to make sure I wasn't a heretic. So I had three, all right? You know, everybody wants to just start big. No, you start right where you are. Start right where you are. Start at home. Because if it isn't working at home, don't export. So often we're looking to start big, but you just start right where you are. Start at your house and do what you can do. And as you do that, God will continue to bless, to promote, to grow, to teach, to train, and God will bring you into the fullness of his plan, his destiny, his purpose for your life. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? He sits high, but he watches low. God knows every problem, every difficulty, every heartache, every situation, addiction, sorrow, rejection, pain, tear that you have shed. And the Bible says he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. So much so that Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He has forgiveness. He has freedom. He has healing for your soul, hope for your future. This is what Jesus said. He said, the thief, the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly that good life that he's prepared for you. If you're here today, you're away from God. You're not right with God. and You say, I want to get right. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, please lift your hand. We're going to pray. And God is going to meet you today, right here in this place. And when we leave, you will be forgiven. You will be right with God. You'll be in that spot where Jesus can begin to bring that abundant life to you. Now, The first thing that you're doing as you lift your hand today is you're saying to God, you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And today, right here in this place, I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today I am turning my back on my old life. I am not going to let the devil steal, kill, or destroy in my life one more day. I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life he has for me. Two, get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm going to receive Jesus by faith. He is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand up. Just lift up. Say, pray with me. I am not right. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand and another Another, others, just lift up and say, pray with me, Pastor. Up in the balcony, thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Way in the back, thank you. In the midsection. All right. Would everybody please stand? I'm going to ask you to just take today, just take and put your hand over your heart. We're going to lift your other hand towards heaven. And everybody, make these words your own. You pray this from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. That I am your child now. A part of your family. Forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.